The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. What breaks your heart? What headlines on the news preoccupy your attention? What crisis in your own life distracts you, keeps you up at night, worries you and weighs heavy on your heart, like almost like a burden just, just setting on you. You can't get it out of your mind. It's what you think about regularly. Here is our challenge. Too often, um, when we look at our community, when we look at our city, when we look at our own country, the crisis across the globe, they, we treat them more like a game of peekaboo. All right, so I got little kids. So I, I mean, I have at least, I have one little kid, so I know how the game goes, right? Here, here's how it works, right? Like we put our hands over our eyes. You can, in fact, you all do this with me right now, right? We're all gonna play this little quick game, right? Everybody put your hands over your eyes and go, and then you go like real quick, you go peekaboo, right? Y'all got it? All right, so then we do this over and over and it is endlessly entertaining for a one-year-old child. They love it, right? Because they know we don't actually disappear, but at least for a moment, we think everything has disappeared. And, and so this is how we treat the news and the crisis and the problems and the pain in the world around us. Uh, we, we quickly put our, kinda our, eyes, our hands over our eyes and then we go peekaboo. Uh, for an instant, something is on the news. For an instant, something is in front of us. For an instant, there's a problem, there's a tragedy, there's a crisis. And then right back to the same game and it's kind of endlessly entertaining. Follow me here. We just keep scrolling. Peekaboo, it's gone. We see it for a moment, and then it becomes yesterday's news. The problems of people that we meet every day just get caught up in the same peekaboo cycle. We just kind of scan through them. We just kind of scroll through the issues. We, we see somebody post something, man, I desperately need prayer. And we're like, yeah, Jesus. And then we just keep on scrolling. It's like a game of peekaboo. We see it for a moment and then it's gone out of sight, out of mind. Meanwhile, back in the real world, we live in a community, in a city, in a country filled with political whirlwinds that seem crazy and out of control. We hear about issues of hate-motivated violence and religious terrorism. We see the issues like the heroin crisis on the rise, not only in our nation, but in our own city. And, and what do we do about it? We, we play peekaboo. We act like if we don't see it, then it isn't there and it really isn't making a difference in my life so I don't have to personally be involved. And if I did get personally involved, what would I even do? I mean, to be honest, take any one of those issues, the political, I, 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 you never mind, I'm gonna switch to another one. Uh, the, the uh, you know, hate-filled violence. I mean, what, what difference can you and I make in the middle of that mess? When, when you deal with issues like a national heroin crisis, I mean, what difference are you and I going to make? And so it kind of reinforces our motivation to just keep scrolling through the news, playing peekaboo. It's out of sight, it's out of mind. But I want to introduce you to a young man who uh, his homeland, his city, 
was in great crisis, but rather than scrolling and moving on with his life, he got personally and deeply involved in such a way that he led a revolution in his city. So I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to tell you kind of an ancient story set. Uh, it's told through the Bible, all right? And, and the young man I'm going to introduce you is a guy named Nehemiah. But before I introduce you to him, let me explain a little bit about what's going on, because if you don't know the story, the principles aren't going to be easily applied to our lives. So we're going to go back into ancient times, about 2,500 years ago, to the nation of Israel, which was divided into two nations. The nation of Israel had actually already been conquered by the Assyrian Empire in 722 BC, and what was left was the other half of the country called Judah, which contained the, the capital city of Jerusalem, and in, this, in the center of that city was the temple. The temple was the center of the, all of the Jewish worship. This is where they went to worship God and offer their sacrifices. Unfortunately, in 587 BC, remember we're working backward here because we're working towards zero, right? So 722 BC, the Assyrians wipe out Israel. Five, 586, 87 BC, uh, the Babylonians come and they wipe out all of Judah. They take most of the citizens, they leave behind the poor, but they take anyone with influence, anyone with power, anyone with wealth, and they drag them off and they take them into exile into their foreign land and force these people to live among uh, citizens who worship other gods. So it stays like this for a significant period of time. We're going to go about 50 years until a new world power rises up and gives this guy, Zerubbabel, permission. I know that's a hard name to say, right? Say, you can say like Zerubbabel really fast 10 times and you win a prize. Zerubbabel gets permission to go home and rebuild the temple in the, in the ruined city of Jerusalem. So Zerubbabel goes home gathers together a group of people with financial resource, and they begin to rebuild the temple. The problem is, even though they rebuild it, nobody returns to worship. They don't actually return to God. They just kind of go around living miserable and broken. Their city in ruins. Nobody comes into the temple to worship God. Nobody comes to offer sacrifice. So even though they rebuilt the temple, they don't return to God. And so the city continues in ruin, in despair. I mean, it's a great tragedy, one of the great world tragedies. Nearly 100 years later, not much has changed and that's where our story is going to pick up. There's this young guy named Nehemiah who is now the uh, cupbearer or the servant to the new king of the great world power of its time. The, the, he's the king Artaxerxes I, the king of Persia, which is the dominant world power at this point. Okay, now we're done with our history lesson. Let's jump in, all right? Here is this guy, Nehemiah, who is, you know, he stands right near the king, but he's far away from his homeland. He's far away from Jerusalem. In fact, he's in a place of privilege. He's got life. Life is good for him. He really doesn't have any great needs. And the situation in his homeland in Jerusalem is out of sight, out of mind. It would have been easy for him to play a game of peekaboo. In Nehemiah, where our book picks up, chapter 1, verse 3, a friend comes to him. Somebody from Jerusalem comes and visits Nehemiah. And they said to me, 
Those who survived the exile are back in the province and they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. So this is the news that, that um, Nehemiah gets. Word comes from a group of friends, his fellow countrymen, they bring him news that the city is a mess. All of the walls of the city are in ruin. Now, you know, we don't have walls around our cities, but you're talking about ancient times when walls were your protection, walls were your fortress. That's how a city survived. And so walls being in ruin meant there was no legal protection. It meant there was no sense of security. Any enemy that wanted to come in could just come and do whatever they wanted. And so this was a, a city and a nation in great trouble. And what, what does Nehemiah do about it? What do you and I do when we hear bad news? When, our, when we look around at our nation, when we hear news about our own city, where, how do we respond to this news? You know, if, if we were Nehemiah, here's what we would do. We would post something making fun of our city. We would, we would message somebody and say, here it goes again, another stupid example of how dumb our city is, and we would mock it and make fun. We would moan and message about the problems and the misery, but Nehemiah does something altogether different, and his response becomes a principle that we can learn from as we look around at our own lives, maybe the messiness in our own homes, maybe the mess in our neighborhoods, or maybe the messiness of our city, and he offers us a principle. Verse four, when I heard these things, I sat down and I wept. Let me just pause right there and borrow from a quote from Pope Francis who said, there are some realities that you can only see through eyes that have been cleansed by tears. I would just challenge you, maybe instead of mocking and making fun, Maybe instead of pointing fingers and looking down at people around you or the problems around you, maybe it's time for you and I to look through eyes that have been soaked by tears. When was the last time you actually wept for a problem that you heard about? When was the last time your eyes welled up with tears because a friend told you about a crisis in their life? When was the last time you watched the news with your eyes soaked with tears? Nehemiah gets news about the city of Jerusalem and he begins to weep for his city because his city is ashamed. The citizens are embarrassed. The city is in crisis. And for some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And I would just challenge you that right there in this moment, we discover an, a remarkable and telling principle. In fact, it is the principle. You might try a lot of different avenues. You might turn a lot of different directions to solve the problems in your life. Maybe you look to a therapist or a counselor or a doctor. Maybe you call up a friend or a family member and say, hey, I need some help. Maybe it's financial help or you just need someone to talk to and talk about the issue. Maybe you're, maybe you're reaching out to get a new job and you think that a new job or a new career or another level of education is gonna solve the crisis in your life. Maybe you're looking for the law enforcement or a new or this election cycle to begin to solve the problems in our city or our nation. 
But we discover immediately that Nehemiah knows where to turn, and it becomes a principle for us as we look to our life. Listen to how he prays. Then I said, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and obey his commands. Nehemiah models for us where to turn when we want to seek an answer for the problems in our lives and the pain in our city and as we look out at our nation and it's this. The principle that we see that kind of jumps immediately off the pages is that God must be our source. What is your source? What are you tapping into to turn around your marriage? What source do you use? Meaning, if you had to draw from a cup, if you, had to, if you had to leverage some resource, what are you using as a resource to transform your parenting or to, to change your neighborhood or to heal the school that you work in? What are you, what's, what's the source of help that you're using to respond to the crisis in your workplace? What should we use as a source in our city, in our nation? And I would challenge you that right immediately in the middle of this story, or from the beginning of this story in Nehemiah, when he begins to weep over the problem in his city, where his people are ashamed of the crisis, he immediately turns to God as his source. He goes like this, God, you're the only hope. You are the only help. We have nowhere else to turn. No election is going to turn this cycle around. No self-help book is going to bring about a transformation in my life. No amount of marriage counseling is going to fix my marriage. God, you are the only one. You're the only help. You're the only answer. And I would just challenge you. Before you go looking around to anyone else or you look anywhere else, I would challenge you to look deeply from this story of Nehemiah to the God who is a God of love. He uses the term when he prays. He said, God, we look to you, the God of heaven, who is a covenant-keeping God. And that word right there captures this idea that God loves with an unfailing, unstoppable, never failing love toward people regardless of what they ever do in response to him. That's what, it, that's what a covenant means. It means I give you myself completely for as long as I live, no matter what you ever do back to me. He says, God, we appeal to you because you're the only one that loves like that. You love us forever. You give yourself completely to us. You are unfailing and loving, and it doesn't even matter what we do back. Now, God, help. And I would challenge you that right now we turn to a God who keeps his covenant toward his people, and we desperately pray. In fact, right from there, I would challenge you, how do you Turn to God as your source. When you're going through an emotional crisis, when you can't handle the mental anguish, when you're walking through a moment or a season of despair in your own life, when the world around you feels like it's falling apart, when the politics are a mess and your city looks like it's a mess, where do you turn? You turn to God who is for us, who is for our city, but how? Do you tap into God as your source?
And so I'm going to walk you briefly through the step-by-step process Nehemiah walks through as he illustrates for us what it looks like to tap into God as your source. Here we go. First thing he does, he goes like this, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and awesome God. What do we learn from that? The first thing he does is he begins to worship. To make God our source, we have to worship him alone. Here was the problem. In the city of Jerusalem, where even though they had rebuilt the temple, they didn't return to the worship of God. They sat around and they complained. They moaned and they griped. You could say that we sit around and we tweet and we blog and we text and we Facebook message, we post comments and we slander and we cut down, we embarrass and we mock a city and a nation that is in trouble. But Nehemiah returns to worship. The people did not return to worship. And unfortunately, here's what happens. When we don't return to God in worship, we worship something. And right now, as a people, as a city, as a nation, what happens is we'll worship anything. Some people worship themselves. We see ourselves as God. And we begin to hold ourselves up as supreme over everything else. And you know what happens when you worship yourself above everything else. It destroys relationships. It hurts other people because you, if you see yourself as God, then you can use and abuse anyone or anything that serves your purposes. Others begin to worship something else. Maybe you, they worship a relationship or they worship some addictive behavior. Maybe they worship endlessly being entertained. And what we discover is when we worship anything else, it begins to destroy us because we were designed to worship God alone. And when we put God in his rightful place, we begin to look up to God rather than down at people, rather than down at the problems around us. And so Nehemiah immediately begins to look up and he worships God. He says, God of heaven, great and awesome God. And I would just challenge you to, if you want to discover God as your source, the first step is going to be that you return to having a right place of worship. I don't mean that you have to gather for worship. I mean that in your heart, you see God as the only one worthy of worship. And then you begin to worship him, begin to express adoration to God, begin to give God your life, begin to demonstrate an attitude of gratitude toward God. Thank God for the very breath in your lungs and the life that you've been privileged to live. Thank God that you live in such a great nation and you live in such a beautiful city. Thank God for the blessings and the privileges he's put into your life. And when you are overwhelmed with worship, you get your eyes off of yourself and the problems around you, and you begin to look up and see how awesome and great the God that you love and serve really is. When you begin to see how awesome God is, then you understand that he can fill your life. He can overwhelm you as a source to begin to become the response to the problems and the pain around you. So let's keep going. What does he do next? Not only does he worship God, but then we continue. Let your ear, he prayed, be attentive to our eye, to, and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants and the people of Israel. He pauses and he begins to pray. And so I would just challenge you to make God our source. We have to pray. 
I don't just mean like empty little quick prayers that you pray over a meal because you were taught that when you were a little kid and you have to go through the religious ceremony. I don't mean the quick little trite prayers. You're like, oh God, I'm so sorry. Please forgive me. And like, you know, maybe some of you have prayed like, and God, like fix all the problems in the world. Like, I want to challenge you to pray the way Nehemiah prayed. God, I'm asking you to pay attention right now. And would you be attentive to what is going on in my city? Would you be attentive and aware of the prayers I'm lifting for my marriage, for my home, for my family, for my friends, for my community, for my workplace? And I would challenge you that with tear-soaked eyes, you begin to pray in desperation, believing that you are praying to a God who not only created the universe, but who loves us passionately and keeps his promises. Pray as though you actually believe there is a sovereign God who's listening. I think our problem is we don't pray like we mean it because we don't actually believe there is a God who is listening. But Nehemiah is desperate. He has nowhere else to turn. There's no other source that's going to fix the shame and the problems in his city. So he turns to God. God help. You're the only answer. You're our only hope. Would you listen? You know, we use very often as things go on, crisis happen, we hashtag for, hashtag for, pray for Hagerstown. And, and some people will mock that and make fun of that. Man, what difference does prayer make? And I would challenge you. If you read the story of how God interacts with man throughout history, you will discover quickly what difference prayer makes. That prayer can divide waters that are flooding. Prayer can feed the hungry. Prayer can heal the sick. Prayer can give sight to the blind. Prayer can raise the dead. Prayer can feed a hungry people. Prayer can transform a nation. Prayer can stop fires in their place. Prayers can shut the mouths of hungry lions. Prayer can transform your life. Prayer can transform your home. Prayer can transform a city because you're not praying to an empty heaven. You are praying to the king of the universe. You are praying to a God who listens and pays attention to your every need and who wants to respond if you would simply ask him. <laughs> Nehemiah doesn't have to pray endlessly empty words. He prays honest, authentic, simple, vulnerable prayers. God, help. Here is the specific situation I am in, and I desperately need you to do a miracle in it. I would challenge you to pray bold prayers because God honors those bold prayers because those bold prayers honor God. They, they allow God to show up and show off. If you're praying generic prayers and it, no one would even notice whether God answered or not, then your prayer goes empty. Pray specific, desperate, clear prayers so that you could even know whether God answered it or not. And then pray regularly. Man, get up on a daily basis and turn your first attention to God in prayer rather than the first thing you do is opening up your news feed or turning on the news or jumping into email or your to-doist. And the first thing you do is turn your attention to God in prayer and let him know that you need him more than you need anything else as your source for life. And then he continues, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's house, have committed against you. The very next thing Nehemiah does that demonstrates how you tap into God as your source, and we're invited to follow this example, is confess our sins. Nehemiah goes like this. 
He turns to God in prayer and worship, and he goes, God, I, I know we've blown it. Man, we've messed this thing up royally. We, we've screwed up everything our hands have touched. I've wrecked my job. I've wrecked my marriage. I, the wrong things have come out of my mouth. I, I've tried to do the right thing, and in the middle of trying to do the right thing, I just mess it up. He goes, we've sinned. Our whole nation has sinned. I sinned. My family has sinned. God, forgive us. So let, let me make sure you don't miss this moment because this is really central to everything else we talk about. Here is our challenge. You and I are driven by sin. It's as though the cup, if you were to look at like the deep inner fuel of your life, there is a great hole in the cup of the fuel of your life. And that what causes that hole is this thing called sin. Sin corrupts. Sin cracks our heart. Sin is this driving force inside of us, our instinct that pushes us away from God and toward our own selfishness. Sin corrupts and it sabotages our best intentions. And guess what? Every one of us were born that way. As a result, we willingly sin. We willingly do the very thing that's going to cause problems in our home, in our relationships, with our friends, in our finances. We sin and we wreck our city. And we live in a city full of people who sin. We live in a nation of sinners and we live on a planet where every person is born into sin. And the only hope is God. Why? Because God responded to the problem of our sin by becoming one of us. Our sin not only destroys and devastates and ruins relationships and ruins nations, but our sin leads toward an eternal ruin where we go on living forever, but the punishment for our sin is eternal suffering, a forever in judgment. But God, unwilling to leave us on this crash course trajectory with a forever ruin, intervened in our story by becoming one of us so that when Jesus Christ died on a cross, he took the collective death sentence of eternal judgment on himself and died once for all in our place so that anyone who believes in Jesus Christ by faith is forgiven of their sins and given new life. How? How do we receive new life? Because we welcome God's spirit into our spirit. And when God's spirit enters into our spirit, we are forgiven of our sins and we are given his eternal and new life. And when God's life is in your life and my life, because we have repented of our sin, we've confessed our sin, we begin to live a new life with God as our source, where we worship him and where we talk to him. And when we mess up again, we're gonna quickly come back and confess our sins to him. And then Nehemiah continues. We've acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws that you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses saying, if you return to me, and obey my commands, then even if you are exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to this place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. For my name. Here's what Nehemiah does. He begins to quote the promises of God and the commands of God and the laws of God as contained in what they knew as what we call the Bible. Nehemiah returned to the word of God. I would challenge you to make God your source, study, and fall in love with and begin to read the word of God. Go back and study his word. Here's why. Our lives fall apart because we don't know right from wrong. 
Our lives fall apart because we're making it up as we go. We don't know which end is up. We don't know the right way to do things. And we don't have any foundation to stand on. Our nation will continue to decline so long as we have no bearing of right and wrong. I'm not pointing fingers at the legal system or the Supreme Court or our legislators. I'm looking right at my own life, and I know what I need in order for God to be my source is I have to be tapped into the Word of God. Why? Because the Word of God is the way I discover who God is. It's how I learn more about God and His love for me. It's how I'm reminded of His miracles. It's how my heart is filled with faith, and it's how I begin to discern right from wrong and make better decisions that are in alignment with the perfect plan of God. So I would challenge you, you want to tap into God as your source? Get back into an active daily reading of the Word of God. If you've read it once, good. Read it all over again. Don't just read your favorite parts. Go back and read the whole Bible through. And I promise you, as you read the Word of God, your life will begin to be filled with a source that comes from heaven. And as you are filled with the source that comes from heaven, you'll begin to have truth and an understanding between right and wrong that you can begin to use to influence those around you. You don't always have to quote the Bible, but you can live the Bible. As you allow, the, as you allow God's word to study your heart, you begin to be changed and conformed to the image of God. And when you are transformed, you have something to offer that will begin to transform the lives of people around you. It will begin to transform our schools, our city, and our nation. And then that will lead to this final step that Nehemiah demonstrates for us as we tap into God as our source. And it's this in verse 11, where Nehemiah says this, give your servant success today. He's praying, God, would you give your servant success by granting him favor in the presence of this man? So Nehemiah is going to do something. He's saying, God, would you help? And I, I want to go to the king, and I'm going to ask the king to help this problem in my city. And so, God, I'm asking you to give me favor as I get personally and actively involved in the problems in my city. I'm going to do something. I'm going to get my hands dirty. I'm going to get involved. I'm going to, I'm going to go out of my way. I'm going to step away from my privilege, and I'm going to step into the pain of the people that I love, and I'm going to be part of your response. So, God, I'm simply asking for your help. He, what's the principle? When you make God your source, you and I have a resource to offer others. Only when God is your source do you have anything to offer anyone else. See, God will fill your life so that he can spill through you his love, his hope, his forgiveness onto other people. Our challenge is that we talk more about people than we talk to God about them. When you tap into God as your source and you make God the source of your life, the only resource you have is your relationship with Jesus Christ through faith. So I would challenge you, your resource that you offer others is when you begin to pray for them more than you talk about them. Spend less time reading about what's going on and spend more time talking to God about what's going on. And then you will discover that God will begin to turn the bad news into a burden in your life so that you can begin to rebuild a city. God will begin to use you and I to begin to become the resp his response to the issues and the crisis and the pain and the problems in the world around us. You are the response of God. 
to the issues in your home. You are the response of God to the crisis in your friend's life. You are the response of God. You are the solution to the pain and the problems in our city. God could take one young man named Nehemiah to be the healing agent to transform an entire nation. Not because it was about Nehemiah, but because one young man said, I'm going to tap into God as my source. God, you're the only answer, and I'm willing to let you work through me to respond to the problems and the shame and the crisis in my life, in my friends, in my city. So I want to challenge you right now. Would you be willing to respond? For some of you, your first response is you need to tap into God as your source by believing in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've not turned your life over to God. You've been trying to do this in your own strength, and you've been thinking, what difference can I make? And it's time for you to acknowledge Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that's where you're at, would you just make that your commitment right now? Would you take a moment and pray and say, God, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. Would you forgive me of sin and make me new? Others of you, you believe in God, but you've not been tapping into God and making God your only source. You've been, you've been depending on yourself. You've been turning to someone else. You've been complaining. And it's time for us to tap into God as our source so that we have something to offer the people immediately around us and a city in great need and a nation in crisis. What one step do you need to take right now? For some of you, it means you need to begin to worship God. Others, you need to confess sin. Others, you need to get back into the active study of the word of God. For some, you need to begin to develop a passionate prayer life where you begin to seek God's face more than you turn to anyone else. So would you take a moment right now, just a moment, and would you just let the Spirit of God speak to your heart right now and just speak to you and tell you what one commitment you need to make in order to rediscover or find God as the source in your life. Thank you for listening to audio from Lifehouse Church, located in Hagerstown, Maryland. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.